This event was recorded live at the 2016 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Uh, hello, good afternoon everyone. Um, welcome to the first day of the fabulous Edinburgh International Book Festival. My name is James Runcie and it's a privilege to be with you. Thank you so much for coming. It's a particular privilege to uh, talk uh, this afternoon to Alexander Masters. Alexander is the author of the wonderful Stuart, A Life Backwards, uh, Simon the Genius in the Basement. Uh, my basement, and now uh, A Life Discarded, which is the story of 148 diaries found in a skip in Cambridge, which uh, were thrown out, and he has decoded the story behind those 148 diaries found in a skip. But you all know that because that's why you're here. So I'm going to ask <laughs> Alexander, I'm not going to do one of those long introductions telling you everything you know already. Um, Alexander, tell us about the, the first thing, the, the discovery of the diaries. Right, this was... Uh Two, two friends of mine in Cambridge, who are two academics in Cambridge, and r quite unlikely academics is that, uh, in that one was scrambling around in a building site, just mucking about in a building site. He's a professor of ecology. <laughs> and he came across this skip. And he looked in the skip and, and saw there were all these things in there that intrigued him, but he's a slightly plump professor of ecology. And so he couldn't get in the skip. <laughs> So he rang up another friend of mine who was um, in the literature department and said, who was a bit thinner, and said, could she come out and get in the skip, which she then did, and found in the skip 148 books. Um, didn't at, the first, at first know what these books were, just you shouldn't have 148 books in a skip, they felt. So they took them out and discovered it was a diary going, and then after they looked at them a bit, they understood that it passed from about 1952 to a couple of weeks before these books, they, they discovered the books, the books in the skip. So what had happened clearly was that the, whoever had written these diaries, they all seemed to be by one person, had died and the books had all just been shoved in the skip. And it, it seems that he'd only discovered them the day that they'd been thrown out because there was nothing on top of them or anything. It was no, no, they were, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. The, the, the so it, was a, it was a very fortuitous Yeah, she, she, the, the friend who actually lifted them out said um, she had a feeling they were almost alive. There was something, oh, I meant to bring some with me. How annoying. I forgot. Um, I, I left them in my bag. That's what it was. They, I'll describe them. They're ordinary looking sort of plain A5 books, most of them, but some of them are very vibrant colours, the sort of colours you got a lot that came in in the 90s, you know, the sort of lurid orange colours and strange pinks and, and mushy pea green sort of things. And so there were those that were all sitting there like flashing on, um, with these vibrant colours and then very dull coloured ones from just after the war, from the, from the rationing time and from, and it looked like... Um, there's old red and black notebooks. There were a lot of those as well. So it was a combination of colours, but the effect was to feel that these things had just arrived there, and they were sort of almost... They still... Somehow the books were still alive, even if the author wasn't. And you saw these um, incredibly compressed handwriting. Yeah. They would yeah. Look, I mean, and the first book I think you picked out was a pocket book from 1960. Yes, Is that right? yes. Um, and that you read the line, Hope my diaries aren't blown up. <laughs> Um, so, obviously, you decided these were dramatic, with well, dramatic potential. The interesting thing about, well, maybe it's just me as a reader, but I, I, I don't think I'm unusual in this, is that you read one or two words and immediately you have a picture. You've decided what a person looks like, you've decided what the setting is, you've decided the context, everything. And so, when those, the first words I read, I think, wow, this is going to be something good. So, so, my friend who took them out of the skip kept them for a, quite a number of years, and then she gave them to me because of these previous books I'd done thinking that it might be interesting for me to, to study these diaries, not with any particular idea of what the book would be that I'd get out of it. But, um, so I'd, I'd, I'd sort of glanced at them a number of times, and the first time was when I saw this remarkable comment, and it was written in, a, in very um, faint handwriting. So, so the books were usually filled from the first possible page, so even a diary book, a, a book that was supposed to be a diary, and usually one book would take about six weeks for this writer to fill. And even on these diary pages, he'd start um, right at the first possible page. So in the section where you put notes and, and little memoranda to yourself, he'd start there and then go into the, go into the proper diary section and then go right into the, the, the final pages of the book as well. And it, even then, it wasn't enough space. And so he'd go back and write in the, the little column up the side in little whispery, faint writing. 
I hope my books are discovered, you know, I hope they're not blown up and things like this. So it had this wonderful quality of secrecy about it. And an immediacy, there's an underlying yeah. thing, it must be done. It must be done. It must think, what it is was, it? What, what is must it? be done? What must be done? And the thing which is obvious, really, but hadn't occurred to me, which is that in a diary you don't say anything of the things that you need to declare who you are. You don't say your name, you don't say your height, you don't say anything about what you look like. Well, you might complain about your looks, but you don't describe them. You don't say where you live. All those things you know, all the things you know, are the things we rely on to identify you, and they're, but they're not in the diary. So it was, it was, it was very difficult to, to, and for instance, the it. What was this it? It was clearly important because quite often it was underlined, and quite often it was clear that unless the it worked, unless it was realized, this person's life, his life would be destroyed, it would be ruined, everything would go wrong. So everything depended on the success of it. It, whatever what, what it was. was it? And, and the, the violence, I, as a crime writer, I, was, I would have been intrigued, I was drawn <laughs> by that, because he talks about beating Peter up and strangling him. Yeah. And so you made a decision quite early that this must be a man. Why did you come, why did you come to that well, conclusion? I think there were two, two reasons. One is there were quite a lot of violent references. Two, there is just a sort of natural tendency. People do, they fall into, you know, he, 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 eventually. You, say, you, you try and be fair to begin with, he or she, and then slightly you say, oh, I can't go on saying that. I just sound ridiculous. So I'll say he. And, and so it's, you fall into the habit of it. And I fell into the habit of it. And it was, in fact, um, and it's, it's quite, anyway, I'll come to, no, yeah, I'll come yeah. to that bit in a minute. But it was, it was a violent episode that uh, confirmed the, 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 the true situation to me, which was that it appeared, I, I picked up one book, and I'd, I'd put these books aside several times thinking, you know, it's five million words and 150 books. Do not begin on this project. You know, it's just madness. <laughs> you will go mad. And I thought, well, I'll just pick it up. You know, I'm a bit of a gossip, and I do like to know what's going on in other people's lives, and particularly if I'm not supposed to. You know, so I would, I would look through. And on one of these occasions, I picked up the book, and it seemed to me what had been described was a stabbing. And this was, wow, I thought, yeah. you, you can feel, ah, oh, the, um, the crime element had come in, and, and, and there was the drama. So clearly the it, this great dream this person had that had to be realized, that wasn't being realized, that was perhaps going to fail altogether, and with that failure, the failure of the life, but also this very violent element. It sounded, you know, I thought, well, hmm, sales. I can make something out of it. <laughs> and did you start to take notes straight away? Did no, you no. So I was, I was, I was waiting, I, I think in the back yeah. of my mind, oh, get, me, get me something interesting. So, so there I, I, I find this violent episode in which the person has been stabbed and is stumbling about in the garden, calling for Nizzy, crying, Nizzy, 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 help me, Nizzy. So this is the writer writing subsequent to this event. So obviously I hadn't been killed by it. And then at one point he goes to... He clambers to the, goes to the phone to try and phone the hospital because he thinks if I can get through to the hospital to get them to set up the blood transfusion unit in time, there's a chance my life might be saved. So he gets the phone, but the telephone book, which has the number of the hospital in, this was before the days of 999, has gone. Can't find it. So, and at that point, Nizzy comes in. And it's... <laughs> It was such a sort of shocking, shocking, sort of what followed was so shocking to me when I realized what had gone on. Nizzy turns out to be his mother, and Nizzy's not in the least bit concerned, couldn't care less, and says, oh, do stop fussing. And then he says, I was bleeding because of my sex. And then I realized he'd had his first period. He was a woman. And this was a great, <laughs> a great shock to me, who'd been set up thinking, and... That happened quite often during these diaries, so that what is actually, you know, normal thing for half the population became a very dramatic event if you kind of were, in, were assuming the wrong things beforehand. And repeatedly in the diary that happened, that I'd be, for some reason, had made one assumption or another that turned out to be wrong. And it's just the way you do when you're reading something or you hear half a story, you make assumptions, and then you hear the rest of the story and, whoa, you got it completely wrong. And that happened to me repeatedly during the diary. So having assumed it was a man, no, it turned out to be a woman. Yes, and, uh, and uh, then something quite weird happens is that because 
you, because you're a right on liberal man, mm-hmm. um, you then um, thought maybe, I think there's a 14, so she's 14 at the time. She mm. was 14. Yeah. And then, you, and there's stuff about love and passionate feelings for people. You then worry, I think, in the book, it's rather honest, you then worry that you, you, it's a bit pervy mm, it is. It for is. you to be involved writing this. Because well, as soon as it transfers to a woman, <coughs> you sort yeah. of feel a bit more voyeuristic. Did you it feel you wanted to stop or thought well, you should? It didn't last long, that worry, I've got to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, you think, well, really, oh, 148 books written by a woman telling me what, it's, what a woman's you know, thinking about. And, kind of saying all the things women think, and you know, this is kind of a gift to a bloke, you know, you get all this insight. And so it lasted about five minutes where I thought, really what I ought to do is take these books to the police and, or just lock them up, or, well, what do you do with 150 books? The police aren't going to want them. You can throw them back in the skip. Now that, you can't repeat the same crime. Mm. It's already been done. Mm. Um, so what do you do with them? Will you stash them in your attic? Well, the best thing is just to read them. And, and another little thing that happened was that early on, you found there were lots of drawings. Yeah. I wonder if you could tell, and th- th- there's a kind of graphic novel about Richard III, um, uh, the film of Richard III with drawings of Laurence Olivier and, and John Gielgud. And it looks possibly that uh, she might have been on the film set or mm. uh, Did you secretly hope that the person writing these diaries was famous? No, I didn't really think about it. Well, no, that's not correct. When I first picked up the diaries, I kind of thought, well, if they are famous, and they've been stabbed, and all these other things, then I'm secure Best for seller. the rest of my life. Best yeah, they're all done. <laughs> and then I actually found, as I worked on the diaries, that I began to long that they weren't famous, that this woman wasn't famous. And it's hard quite to describe why, but I think part of it was that the pleasure, the pleasure of them was seeing into an ordinary life, but sort of the life of someone mm. I might have passed on the street, mm. or the life of someone I might sit next to on the bus. If it had been someone famous, well, there's no sort of sense of... It's, partly there's no sense of equality between me and the subject, because the subject is this mm. eminent person and they've done something remarkable and I'm just scrabbling to mm. try and make a representation of them. And partly, it's just kind of boring, you know. Mm. It, so many famous people are written about. Yes. What about if you had a proper insight, and an, an unselfconscious insight, in the sense of her being unselfconscious, she's just writing her diary, into an ordinary life? Now, it's not an ordinary life in the strict sense, it's an extraordinary life, but into a life that wasn't a famous, wasn't a celebrity. And that seemed to me really fascinating, because, and this goes back slightly to the previous books. So Stuart, uh, a homeless man who I worked with when I worked at Homeless Charities, and Simon, who was my landlord, who was an eminent mathematician, but amongst a very small circle of mathematicians, and not well known outside of that at all. These were remarkable characters who had, in their way, something to say about everyday life. So in Stuart's case, which is more obvious than Simon's, but I think you can also argue it in Simon's. In Stuart's case, what he was, in a sense, was someone, an ordinary person. He'd been, he'd, until he was 12, he was a perfectly all right little boy. But something terrible happened to him at that stage, and then he became this nightmare, this chaotic nightmare. And kind of the relationship between me and Stuart was Stuart saying to me, look, this is, this is what you would be too, had your version of what happened to me happened to you. And so he was reporting back, this was the possibility for you, this is an emotional extreme you might have gone to. And so there was an element, it's as though he was saying, look, this is just one of mm. the varieties of humans, but you have that in you too. And not me as me, Alexander, but me as me, anyone. Mm. And the same with the mathematician, and the same with, for different reasons, which I won't go into, but with this woman, the appeal was, here was a private person, here was someone sort of facing the ordinary daily problems that I face, apart from the period, and, you know, how does she cope with them? Mm. How does she manage with them? How does she moan about them? How does she resolve them? And in many ways, they were very similar to the way I do as well. And so it was comforting to read that she would have some fuss over the price of cauliflower stalks. She was very yes. keen on reboiled cauliflower stalks. And she'd fuss about that a great deal. Well, I know exactly that sort of fussing. Mine isn't cauliflower stalks, mine is something else. But it was very, that sort of intimacy was nice. Mm. Had it been a famous person, that intimacy wouldn't have been there and I wouldn't have been really interested but, in but finding other. But in those other books, you had <coughs> the, the, the subject was participatory. You could talk to them. Mm. Um, this the subject is absent and you yeah. have to make it up and you have to decode it and you have to you have to really rely on the biography it's a different kind of biography isn't it 
Yes, and there was... My original intention had been just to find the person. And really, if I'd put my mind to it, I could have done that fairly quickly with 150 books. I mean, if you can't do it with 150 books, what's the matter with you? There's enough clues in there. But that quickly began to fade. And what replaced it was a desire to figure out who this person was. Now, if, as soon as I, I did know who the person was, that sort of chase mm. lost some of its interest. The pleasure mm. was trying gradually just to narrow in on them or circle around this person, mm. get to know them yes, a bit. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to come on to that because I think it's really important that you don't commit too early. But what's, what's really interesting about this book is it's like it's in real time, so you <coughs> feel Alexander's investigating and you're with him. I hope you didn't cheat, Alexander, and go back and pretend that this was happening, because there's a there's no, wonderful honesty. Which, which bit of the cheating? Well, I'm just going to tell you. I was <laughs> going to which bit of the cheating? You mean there was cheating? Um, no, no, there was no cheating. So, so, no need for it. So she, um, she has this great love. I mean, what's, he's very, Alexander's very honest about false leads and getting things wrong. And it's, it's thrilling. So here's an example. The first, um, you think she's in love quite early on with someone called Whiters. Mm. And she describes Whiters very passionately but actually this isn't a love at all. Well, this was very interesting because there are a number of characters who appear in the diaries. Now, if any of you keep diaries, you'll know that the people, if you tend to put someone down just with an initial, you have your special fondness for that person. It needn't be a lover, it might be just someone you're very close to or someone you have a great battle with, for, ex for example, but they tend to be reduced to an initial. Now, there are a couple of initials in the diaries. And one of these is the letter E, who is the great love of the diarist's life. And that's another element to the story. But one, Whiters wasn't reduced to an, an initial. And yet, the words about Whiters were passionate. This was the great love. This was the, the mar Whiters was joyous. Whiters gave her contentment. Whiters uh, satisfied her in ways that E, who was nasty, uh, did not satisfy her. I was trying to avoid all the expletives that I might have said at that point, but Whiter's alone was the one who seemed to provide solace as well as comfort, as well as solidity, as well as a sort of just... just she, Whiter's was patient with her and, and let her be her, which E never did. And I couldn't figure out who Whiter's was, and then eventually a little piece of paper dropped out of the back of one of the diaries. And on it was an address, and it said it gave everything away, although there was nothing on it except this address. It said Whitefield House. A Whiters was the house. And it was a house in the country. It, you can still see it uh, from Cambridge. It overlooks Cambridge in a beautiful part of Cambridge. Probably one of the most sort of, at one time, must have been one of the great houses of the area. Now, I finally, I tracked down the owners, and I wrote to them and I tried to ring them up and I couldn't get through and I eventually thought, darn, I'm just going to go knock on your door. I'm going to force myself into your property because I want to know what your connection is with this woman. And I went there and the whole place was cordoned off and so I got through a hedge and wandered up a track and the house had been raised to the ground. It was burnt down. And so this, again, you're sort of all getting things hopeful or you feel you've got things going in one direction. And then I thought, well, maybe she burnt it down. And so that was another exciting element. And so there were always opportunities. So I wasn't totally, totally upset to find it there. But this is what Richard Holmes, the biographer, does. Footstepping, it's called, mm. isn't it? He goes and traces the... He goes, to all the, he goes in the footsteps of his, of his character. And this, you now start being a proper literary investigator. And the next, one of the next things you do is uh, uh, you go and see a graphologist yes. to analyse the handwriting. Now, I don't know what you all think about graphology. I find it a bit dodgy. Um, you know, slopes to the left, that means... Uh, if you have big, flowery writing, that means you're an extrovert. If you have small, in, little, spidery writing, that means you're an introvert. That'll be £100, please. And, and I, I'm... A bit, but you actually had a lot more faith in this graphology. So tell us about going to the graphologist well, I to analyse your hero. I your don't heroines. believe in graphologists at all. But oh. I like graphologists. I don't believe in graphology, but I do like graphologists. And which is to mean I've met two and like them both enormously. <laughs> uh, so that's where I get my opinion from. Um, now, it was the second of the two who did the most work for me, and there's a whole chapter on her work, and it was extremely helpful, because I was, at this time, I was trying all sorts of ways, all sorts of detective methods that I dreamt up, uh, ways to determine her height, for example, 
which we may come on to later, um, ways to, uh, for instance, that the books were in a great disorder and in one box particularly had clearly come from the time in which they'd been written and, and which she had owned and had thrown out after she died and so on. And I kept them in that disorder because the disorder seemed to me to preserve something of her character and I, I felt that there must be some way of figuring out from this disorder how they'd been put in the box and perhaps if you looked at the, the spines of the books as well there'd be, yeah, I, it's CSI stuff, I'd watch too much of that sort of stuff. Anyway, I was very keen on it. And so I didn't want to order all the books, I didn't want to disturb anything that might be a clue, uh, these sort of clues beyond the writing. And um, so I go to this graphologist thinking there's another element, you know, within the handwriting, if she can say something, it might be interesting. It, I'm, I'm not against them without allowing them to say something for themselves. And so I went to see her and she was immediately interested by it. And she picked up the first book she saw. And this was one of the late books, one of those very colorful ones I told you about, where the handwriting is, it's so small, you, there's no, it's like that. <laughs> I can just press my fingers together. They're about two millimeters high, the letters. <coughs> and she picked up this book and looked at it and went, whoa, I don't know who this person is, but I do not want to be in the same room as him. <laughs> she said, there is something seriously disturbed about this person. This person is possibly a suicide. That's probably what happened. Certainly a depressive. Um, has all sorts of strange issues, particularly with her mother because of the why going something funny like that. <laughs> so I sort of said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, but it was interesting because as well as looking at the handwriting, she was also reading the text. So that did help give some indications of, of what the person was like. And um, so I'd, I, I listened to this for quite a bit and thought it was just nice to talk about someone, talk with someone who was as interested in this person as I was and talk to them about the sort of character it might be. She, she like me, this graphologist, was a gossip. Anyway, it got to the point where she was saying, yes, this and this and this, you could tell about the character. Most of them not very flattering things. And then she paused at one point and she said, um, ah, and she was born May 22nd, 1939. And I said, oh, come off it. You know, you can't tell that from handwriting. And she said, oh, no. No, it's in the text. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you read it? <laughs> so she was very good, but it was, it was, it was she was doing my job. <laughs> and there's a rather wonderful moment where you, you, you try to work out how she would have written the diaries in bed. Yeah. You learn something to do with the protractor. Oh, well, this is, hang on, this is, just, this, this is not to be treated lightly. This was a great, a great intellectual breakthrough. <laughs> now, so these diaries, and again, it's a shame I left that one in my bag, but you can imagine the book with a tiny, tiny little handwriting. If you look at, if you looked at, you imagine it here, and you look at the page, there's a slight slant to the text, as you, so the tiny, it goes down the page and down the page, and there's a slight slant going like, like that, yes, like that, so on each side of the page. And I thought, that will tell me her height. And this is the reason. I knew she wrote in bed. So she's writing in bed, and that means her arm is pivoted, well, let's say I'm lying down, her arm's pivoted a bit like this, and she's writing on her book. Now, as you write across the page, your hand goes down, doesn't it? So if you've uh, got a very short arm, if you're a midget, it'll go like that. It'll go down a lot. If you're a great giant, it'll hardly go down at all. So the, the degree to which it goes down will give her height. So I thought, wow, this is it. I've done it. This is a great CSI breakthrough. So I went out and brought a protractor because I needed to measure the angle. And it took me about six hours. And I then came up with a formula. Now, my second book was about a mathematician, so I confirmed with the mathematician that it was, you know, that I'd done everything right. And I put in the figures, and I worked it out, and she was 25 feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> and that was another <laughs> effort at analysis that didn't quite come off. <laughs> one of the other wonderful things you do is, as you find out more physical details about it, you start to draw her. So one of no. the earliest things she talks about is her hair. No. So you, she, you draw her hair, and you, she's got a raised eyebrow, and you mm. raise an eyebrow. She wears glasses. Mm. And then there's a kind of pause, and you, you, it's a long time before you can do her nose, mouth, or mm. cheeks. But it's, it's you're continually trying to do this physical presence well, as well. Yeah. It, it is helpful. And I, again, thinking in this detective role, I'd have a sort of photo fit, I thought. And, you know, it, was, it, is, it is essentially constructed as a murder mystery, but instead of a body, you've got a load of books. 
And so I thought, well, you could do a photo fit, or you could work on it, because she describes herself as having this luxurious, luxuriant hair, this brown hair that comes down like this. She talks about it. I can't remember her precise words now, but there's a, a great sense of a great, wonderful mass of hair that comes down to her shoulders, so you could draw that. And then she has upslant eyebrows, I think is what she calls it. So I sort of know what that would mean, so you do that. So I get the eyebrows in. And bit by bit, it did. you could get enough to get a sense of the image of her. And it was interesting because she, she was ambivalent about her looks. When she's young, E tells her a couple of times that she's beautiful, and she clings to that. And other people tell her she's very good-looking, and she clings to that as well. But in the midst of that, she detests her looks too. She thinks she's awful. She's, she's, she's much. I mean, she's not 25 feet, but she is tall. And the reason I should just add as a parenthesis, the reason I wanted to investigate her height is she talks about it a great deal. So it's clearly of importance to her. She talks about this looming height, that she is embarrassed even to go into shops because she's so tall. And so it seemed to me interesting if I could work out her height, and if it had the formula worked, I'd been able to show that she was, say, five foot nine. That would say something about her state of mind. Look, she's being ridiculous. If she was six foot four, then yes, she might feel that she was this tall. So it gave some sort of sense of her character. And the same was with the face. It seemed to me if I could put these details together, I knew she was happy with her hair. I knew she was quite happy with her eyes, but her mouth bothered her. She had an artist's chin, she said, which she liked, but in later years thought was weak. Uh, this sort of thing, these gave insights, again gave insights her to, but it, was, it, it did kind of work, I think, yeah. Yes, and you're gradually filling it in, but you're not hurrying to fill, fill it in. It's interesting, yeah. there's a, there's a, you're then offered a, a shortcut, a very quick shortcut, which is you go and see a private investigator called Vince, mm. and he says to you, we'll go to the public record office. Yeah. And you don't. Why didn't you Well, do I'd that? gone to Vince. Vince is a very... I like Vince very much. Uh, I, he arrested the first bloke I wrote about a number of times because he was a policeman in Cambridge. And so he arrested Stuart. And so I was quite keen to, you know, keep him involved in the books. And went to see him because he's been involved in various serious investigations. He's, he's a, a private investigator now, no longer a policeman. And so I went to see him, but... I said to him, look, the, tr the trouble is, what I want to do is find out what you do to discover a body, considering these books to be like the anonymous body in a skip. These were the anonymous books in a skip. And then I don't want to do it. Whatever you tell me I should do, I want to make sure I don't do, because as soon as I do it, I know I'll find out who this person was. So this was kind of a switch for me, the point at which I really didn't want to find out who she was too soon, because then I'd no longer get a real sight sense for character. It's as if I got the hair and the eyes, but I hadn't yet got the mouth. Mm. Or I hadn't, you know, I, I wanted mm. to know a bit more about that height. And in this, it was a little like it had ceased to become a search for a person, and it was more like a friendship, and it was a search for the character. Mm. And that was an important point. And Vince, who is um, wonderful, immediately understood and told me exactly what I mustn't do. <laughs> Which was? Which <laughs> well, I mustn't go to the public records office. Yes. I mustn't do, you know, all sorts of things that were obvious to um, We're giving away rather a lot about this book, but please read it because there's m many surprises. So the next thing that happens, I think, is that you find out through reading her name. Yes, and that came... Um, she... she um, I knew to begin with her name was not Mary. I knew that fairly early on, her name was not Mary, because um, she's just about, she's in the basement of her college, and she's got her eyes on this bloke, and um, he's got his eyes on her, and they're about to have a little clinch, and it's all looking very promising, and he says, Mary, and she says, I am not called Mary. <laughs> And that is the end of that clinch, and so nothing <laughs> happens there. So I knew she was not called Mary. But uh, it, then, it then just, you, you gradually find out that it's, it's odd how, how rarely you mention your name in your own diaries. Here you are talking about yourself, and you never, the one thing you never describe is yourself. And at one point, this ghastly character, E, says something appalling to her, as uh, E so often does. And in that, gives away the name, because um, she is quoting E's remarks. And these are known as E saids throughout the book. E said this, E said that, E said this, E said that. And they are, you're watching the gradual demolition of a character. 
and praying for this woman to get away. This just is this appalling man who's, who's doing this to her. You think, it's got to be stopped. But of course, you can't stop it because it's all been and gone and everyone's dead. So it was in, in that that I suddenly came across the name. And, and to come across it in this rather aggressive form was quite a shock. But mm. there it was. And because it's over a span of time, with massive gaps, whole years are missing, aren't they? So yeah. you're jumping around a bit. Yeah. But you, you she starts, she goes to art college. Yeah. You know about that. And then she starts getting jobs and losing them. Yeah, she's, um, she's a disaster, really. As a, she decides she's going to... She's quite a good painter, I think. Th there's a new painting that I have, but quite a good um, artist. You get a sense from these cartoon drawings of someone who's quick, who's got a real sense of weight. You know, if someone's leaning on something, you have a real sense that person is leaning on something. Or, and got a sense of movement, too. And the number, I think, of really very good drawings. She's, she's too quick. She never pauses over... But these are only cartoons in the book. These are... Um, but she never really spends enough time on her drawings to develop it. Anyway, this becomes a problem. She's not going to make it as an artist because she's essentially too lazy. So she decides she's be going to become a housekeeper. Well, it turns out she's too lazy for that as well. <laughs> Only the effects are a lot more immediate because she is an appalling housekeeper. And she goes to a number of places and repeatedly gets sacked. And there are some marvelous... There's one marvelous scene where she goes to the Wirral and she gets a job there. And you can tell from the moment she's arrived she's got it wrong. She, she, she's not going to do well in this place. For a start, she goes and she makes her bed in the four-poster bed in the house. There's a four-poster bed and she goes and stays there and doesn't take the hint that that's kind of not the place for the housekeeper to stay. And then she gives the best bit of lamb to the dog and she thinks hilariously funny. And then she ruins the, the dishwasher, or not the dishwasher, the clothes washer. It just goes on and on and on. So she's not very good at that. And yet, what she turns out to be in life is a housekeeper. And so that's quite interesting from the diary's point of view, because they're often uh, funny mistakes. So maybe. she becomes a housekeeper yeah. for a long time. Yeah. And we know she's in Cambridge. Yeah. Uh, but she's unhappy. So what... Uh, we're going to have to talk about love now, I think. Yeah. Um, and E. So um, if it, is it, do you think it's love that tips her over? I think it's... Yes, I think certainly... It's, it's love and reliance, I suppose. She falls in love with this character, E, who is her old piano teacher. And he is substantially older than she is. And he is extremely critical. So I kind of figure he was once a very good, good pianist in Bonn, I think it was. And apparently a concert pianist on the point of you know, having a proper profession, but Jewish and had to flee from the war, and so his career fell apart, and he ended up teaching in a girls' school in Cambridge, which is a bit of a come-down. And I think what happened is he managed to secure the love of this woman who we now know was called Laura, um, and then invest all his lost hopes in this girl. And if she's too lazy to do art, and she's too lazy to do housekeeping, she's definitely too lazy to do piano practice. And there's no hope in it. She's probably got some talent. She may have some talent. I don't know. It's difficult to tell because she can never quite get it together to really just settle on one thing and work at it until it works. And so the relationship becomes increasingly bitter as he, as I interpret it, I mean, it's, it's not an interpretation in the books and it may be that she would have given a, a different gloss to it, but he wants her to achieve what he failed to achieve. And she's just not going to and not going to and increasingly clear there isn't a chance of it happening. And in fact, she's rather altogether a clumsy... She, it's almost as if she's a mockery of what he might have been. And he takes it out on her. So this man, who is 50 years older than this girl, relentlessly attacks her. And it just becomes... It becomes, it becomes horrible to read. And it starts... Of course, we have to say this starts when she's 14. It starts when she's 14 and goes on until E dies, um, you know, 20 or 30 years later, about 30 years later, I think. And, and so it's, it's love and reliance. It's the love of this, which is a passionate affair. It's never actually consummated because, as it turns out, E is a woman. And so it's a lesbian affair that is never consummated. It's a crush that um, is depends entirely on 
on the sense that, that the, the diarist is, is the admirer and E is the disappointed, worshipped one. And it's as if what happens to, to the diarist is that she gets caught in the sort of weird relationship, a, a, a love that so often affects you. You know about that, 14, 15, you do all sorts of, you fall in love with all sorts of people and you have crushes on much older people, you have crushes on men or women or whatever. And somehow she gets caught there. She gets trapped in that moment. And I think it's partly her fault or partly in her character and partly in this other woman's character that neither of them will let her get out of that moment. And when I think about it as well, when I think about her and then I think about Stuart, Stuart was the same. So something happens to him when he's 12 and I often used to say to Stuart, look, that's what's it. All you've got to do is just look at what happened to you when you were 12, this abysmal thing that happened to you. It's not your fault. And he says, that happened to loads of people. Not all of them turned out to be like me. Why did they get through when I didn't? And again, there's that sense of, there's this, these very vulnerable moments which we all go through, and some of us get trapped there. And she's one of them, and Stuart's another of them. Simon, also at about that age, his genius started to become apparent, but it, didn't, it, it trapped in, in a positive sense. It became the subject of his, the rest of his life and a great joy in his life. So... So this quality is of someone who's just been caught slightly at the wrong moment that reminded me so much of, of the precariousness I felt about my own life at that age. And my, I lived a very happy life. You know, I've, I've gone along perfectly all right. But it is a sort of precariousness that everyone, you know, a period of precariousness, too many S's, that everyone goes through. And so this is very interesting, the discussion of E. It was like this constant reminder of, of having, that she had been trapped too early. And E then dies. E then dies, and by this stage, she, the diarist, Laura, is, um, you know, E is then 80-something, and, and um, Laura's kind of, she's, she, she has this funny thing. There's one chapter in there um, where I just use the diary entries for her birthday. Having discovered her birthday from the handwriting expert, I then went through all the diaries that had May 22nd in it and took a little excerpt from each of the diaries. So you get a, a sort of insight of the life through these short diary entries across from the age of 12 to the age of 61, when the last diary was. And she has this thing about how she, oh, she, you know, she loves old people, how old people are just wonderful, and she, you know, E is such a marvellous person, and then the next year she's gone off E. Oh, I'm so annoyed at old people. You know, and then she sort of gets all cross, and then she gets... So this has been a very important part of her life, and um, really sort of en ends up misdirecting it mm. uh, until, until she dies, because, because this sort of constant feeling that all the only people she can love are people who are substantially older than she is, say 50 years older than she is. Mm. Do you think she intended these to be read someday? I think in th to begin with, yes. Sh to begin with, she did. She talks about them as, if only for this odd relationship. Um, and it's an, again an odd relationship I had quite a lot of sympathy with because my father was 31 years older than my mother. So I sort of understood a lot of, a lot of mm. the things she talked about. And she wanted this relationship, which she felt was a very beautiful and passionate, although it was never, never consummated, very beautiful and passionate relationship, she wanted it to be discussed. And, and because she, she knew it was peculiar, she wanted it to be discussed openly. She wanted to sort of draw attention mm. to it for its peculiarity and, and cease to have it hidden away. But then, as things went on, I think she, it became the diary and, and the relationship with E. Soured. She became less interested in, in publication of these diaries and more just using the diaries as a sort of form of solace. Mm and a form of, a, a way of letting out ideas that were bothering her to sort of run around a little bit mm. and then putting them back in her head. Mm. I'm going to uh, let you ask some questions. We've got a couple of things to come, but I'm just going to ask one thing first, which is towards the, um, towards the end of when they start to run out, she's, her love is dead, she's living, she has a landlord she can't stand, mm. uh, who smells. Um, Stinky, he's called Stinky. Stinky, she does call him that. Stinky. Um, and um, you describe them as, as 
they're, they're quite boring because she's watching telly a lot. She just yeah. describes what she's yeah. watching on the telly. So the, the drama of The Great Love has gone, Stink is in the room, but you actually do a pian to boring. You say that the boring is as interesting. Tell well, us what you mean by I that. I think the great thing here, and this I, I was curious about this through quite a lot of the diaries, is why could I take these diaries and I'd show them to someone? It might be a scene that was not at all interesting. It might be, I don't know, she wasn't being stabbed, she was being, I don't know, going to the shop. And you could give these diaries, it's a little like the Daily Mail, how people who always say, I never read the Daily Mail, I don't want to read the Daily Mail, please don't put it there. Oh, there's a copy, I'll have a look at it. <laughs> They're the same thing with the diaries. That, you know, you look at them and you say, well, this is not terribly interesting. No, nothing, nothing much happening here. No, still. And yet people were reading them. And I think this is what it is, is that it, which is very obvious when you think of it, is that they're true. This is a genuine insight into what a person is thinking and doing. And that's, in a fiction writing, in fiction writing, what you're trying to do is emulate that. Yeah. Here's the real thing. Here is this person explaining how they live from moment <coughs> to moment. And so even in the periods where she, you know, her life hasn't succeeded in one way or another and, and things are going badly and there's a fascination about how she just gets from day to day. There's, you, you find as the reader, in a way you wouldn't with a novel, but you do with a gossipy, you know, you've got a gossipy insight into a diary that you probably shouldn't be reading. You sort of lower yourself, your expectations down to the level of drama that's in the diary. Mm. So whatever that, even <coughs> if it's these tiny little variations like that, that's sufficient to be exciting mm. because you're there. You're there mm. with a person who is, who is alive. Well, uh, in David Copperfield, David says, trifles are the sum of life. And mm. as a fiction yeah. writer, um, you, it would be very hard for you to make up somebody eating nine reheated cauliflower stalks for their supper. Yes, You'd, you wouldn't and think there was much promise in it. You wouldn't think there was much promise. But these kind of telling <laughs> details, and she gets confused about how many radishes yeah. She's eaten, which is sort of quite, it's not a million miles away from Alan Bennett and Lady well, in the Van, I think. Yeah. You know, it's a kind well, of that's a nice, nice thought that my, that, that radishes, I think, takes up two pages. So <laughs> <laughs> that's proper Alan Bennett. Right, we <laughs> um, has anybody got any questions? I'm going to, we're going to return. Yes, there's a lady at the, at the back. This is where it's so dark. I, it is definitely a lady, so I'm confident about that. <laughs> in the black there, just, just there. Just, just there. Thank you. Hi there. Um, I wondered if you could say a bit about the ethics of it. Um, you mentioned earlier that you, you didn't think that the later diaries were intended to be read, and I hmm. wondered whether you felt that there was any right to privacy, for example. Oh, I think, I think there is, and there was. Um, it's a difficult, difficult one, and I just kind of ignored it. Because <laughs> what I thought was, I'm interested in this story, I want to see if I can get away with it. If it comes to the point where some lawyer knocks on the door and says, absolutely not, or there's some point, as, as it did not come to that particular point, but there came it came to a point where it would either go one way or the other. Either I could make it satisfactory to everyone, or I just have to publish and be damned sort of thing. Um, then I'd have to decide. Uh, because I think it's very important if you're writing books about unknown people, and I don't... I, you know, Stuart was about one, Simon's about one, and this is about one, that you, you, you're not allowed to trash them. You can't do that. You can't write a biography of someone who has no capacity to reply or maybe isn't a writer or, you know, is not going to be able to reply and do things in that book that they really, really don't like. Without, you've got to consult them or consult their estate or somehow get some approval. Now, at that point, you then face your ethical difficulty because you've got to face them with what you've written. Now, should I... Yeah, are we going to do this now? Um, right, okay. The, we do this, this now? Now, we're, we're saving this till the end, but... So, we have a reveal. Uh, that's right. revealed in the novel. Uh, the no novel, but not the diaries. We have, a, we have a reveal. Yeah. Um, so, tell us about what happened. Okay. So, I'd had all these jumbled books, and I liked the jumble, and I was rather pleased with my jumbly method, and I felt it was getting me somewhere. A, even if it was misleading about height. And my girlfriend, who's an academic, was constantly saying to me, look, order the darn things, because if you order them, you can get them sorted out. And I said, no, 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 we can't, we can't order them. And eventually I did order them, and instantly everything fell into place. And so she was quite right. And the main thing, there were two things that fell into place. One was I had about an eighth of the total of the diary, so 150 books. This is my calculations, which you might be aware, perhaps <laughs> not to be relied on. <laughs> but I calculate she was by far and away 
the most prolific diarist that has ever lived, if you look in the Guinness Book of Records. She beats that guy who's in there at the moment, you know, no trouble. The second thing I discovered was that she was still alive. And this was a shock just through finding out that she was still alive, but also I probably had met her, probably several times, because I lived in the same sort of area of Cambridge. She talks about places uh, where, where I have gone. Um, and so I thought, well, what am I going to do? You know, I've spent, this is the second part of the answer to your question, I've, I've spent four years working on this book, but you can't just go publish a book about someone when you haven't even asked them if you can publish the book, let alone got their approval. So I thought, well, I got to write to her. So I, I, um, as soon as I, I knew she, she, she was alive, I was able to track down where she was living, living and, and you know, I used the electoral register finally. Yeah, could have saved yourself four and a half yeah. years. I know, but I wouldn't, <laughs> have, I wouldn't <laughs> have had this fun. It was the game that was so pleasurable. Um, I tracked down where she was, and so I wrote to her, and I looked at her house on Google Earth and um, everything I knew all about this, and I wrote to her, and I didn't get a reply. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll do one more time. I'll write one more time. So I wrote another card. And I said, I will meet you, and please bring a friend, because, you know, it's a bit weird, some bloke <laughs> out of the blue saying, I want to meet you because um, I've got a biographical project you might be interested in. She thought I was probably interested in writing. It turned out she subsequently thought I, she was interested in I was interested in writing about someone else who she had known. But anyway, at that point. So I said, I will meet you at the Antis Tea Room in central Cambridge at 4.30 on Thursday. If you don't show up at 4.30 on Thursday, I will show up at your bungalow at 5.30. <laughs> and on Friday, I will also be in Auntie's tea room at 4.30. If you don't show up at 4.30, I will show up at your bungalow at 5.30 on Friday. So I thought that gave her four chances to say no. So I sat, I went to the tea rooms and sat there, and uh, no one showed up. So I thought, right, bungalow. And I've still got the recording uh, of me walking up to the house because I thought, you know, I, I have no idea what's going on. This is four and a half years of my life. I've, I've, I know about this woman's lesbian crush on this E. I know about her periods. I know about, oh God, I know everything. It, it's awful. Um, and so I knocked on the door and she opened the door and uh, she was delightful, absolutely charming. Um, and it took me about 20 minutes to get the subject round to me wanting me, A, having read all about her life, and B, wanting to write a book about it. And I stumbled and hesitated, and I said, you know, have you any idea why I'm here? And she said, no, no. And I said, um, well, it's to do with a biography. And she said, yes, yes, I thought you might were wanting to do a biography about Peter. I said, well, no, do you keep a diary, I said. Anyway, this bumbling went on for about another five minutes, and finally I said, look, I've read your diaries. I haven't read much. I've just read enough to find out who you are and where you are, and, 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 and I want to return them to you. Just 148. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> uh, but it struck me that there is something interesting in these, um, in these diaries, and I wondered whether it would be possible, you know, we could work together, I'd, you know, I'd just... I'd, I'd nudge in one way or the other, but uh, just an idea, a future idea that we might be able to produce a, a book that would use some of the content of the diaries. And she said, oh yes, yes, I think that would be a good idea. And I said, well, I've done a few pages already. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, um, perhaps I could show them to you. And she said, oh yes, I'd, I'd like to see them. And I said, um, and in these pages and in the diaries you discuss, for example, this this affair you have with E, and um, there's a lot about... Uh, is there anything in your diary you wouldn't want me to put in? And she said, uh, no, I don't think it would be honest otherwise. And so that was it. She agreed. <laughs> Just astounding. And it still, I still can't quite believe it. I mean, there was the luck of finding the diaries in the skip, but the luck of finding this author yes. of the diaries. Just astounding. And she is the most remarkable woman. And we have now, you know, I showed her that my pages actually were a 250-page book. <laughs> and she read it. Um, 
she had two objections, no, three objections. They were all to do with pictures, not to do with the words at all. And then I worked on those, and I showed it to her again, and she read it again. And so I got her approval all the way through, and she also gets a share of the proceeds. So um, it has worked out all right, but had I not been able to do that, I think the ethics would have been difficult. And I think there has to come a point in something like this where you stop joking around and you say, no, if they don't approve it, you've got to throw the book out. Yeah. And, that's uh, and you gave her the diaries back? You seem no, to she doesn't want them back. She's not interested. I, she wants them back eventually, she says, but she'd rather not have them cluttering up the place for the moment. And she's and still right. And she's, oh still yeah. right. She's, she's still now keeping two diaries. <laughs> One diary, her usual diary, and the other diary for me. <laughs> They're nice. That's right. I was at the bifurcation of the diaries. How oh, amazing. We've got time for one last question, if there is one. Uh, yes, there's a... Oh, gosh, I'm so sorry we've run out, running out of time. There's a gentleman here. Well, do, if, you're, if we're all very quick, we can... Yeah. Ah, well, I'll leave that twist. Um, oh, right. For if you read the book. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. We have given away such a lot. Okay. It's just here. Yes, I think the question is, where are the rest of the where diaries? Where the rest of the diaries? I think a great many were thrown out, were lost. She has still a number in her garage, but she never opens her garage. And they are piled around the house. There are quite a number. I mean, I, I, I think there are probably a, a multiple number of times that I've got. Around, yeah. This is this one, there was oh, just this lady here. When you're saying there's a lot more diaries, would you write a sequel after yeah. she's gone? Um, would you write a sequel? Would I write a sequel? No. Uh, I have ideas of use. I think there can be diaries used in a different way. I think, for example, the love, her love of E, I think is a fascinating love story. And although the reveals are given in the book already, I think the intensity of the love is interesting. The, the loss of the love through the criticism of E and E's hope for this woman. And then after E's death, the way she responds there. So this, this extent. Now, I think the way to do that would not be for me to write anything but to use it entirely by diary entries. And if you could work out how to do that as a sort of non-fiction short story, I think that would work very interestingly. You could do that about a number of things, about a number of episodes in her life that are major themes. But uh, as a love affair, it seems to me a very remarkable and very interesting one. Has she agreed to give you the diaries? D to do that? No, after she's gone. Oh, God, I hope not. Oh, <laughs> all of them. There'd be thousands of them coming in. <laughs> oh, couldn't bear it. <laughs> we have to stop. Um, so we've given, we've given you quite a lot. It's almost like, but it's the way it's done that's so interesting. I mean, there, you can see there are pictures uh, of, of, of Laura's pictures. Well, I have got one direct question to ask. She may not be called Laura, may she? She may not be called Laura. That is true. <laughs> and you've done that to protect her identity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've given away enough. Me <laughs> <laughs> for her name. <laughs> Um, so um, it's also quite a lot about Alexandra and the task of the biographer and, and it's about the process of writing as much as the process of discovery. Um, it's an extraordinary sort of honest book and it's very loving I think and, and very true uh, and that what more from a, a biography can you want. Alexandra's going to be signing copies in the main bookshop just on the right next to the children's. Obviously this is not a children's book so it's in the next bookshop. Um, thank you so much for coming. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please thank Alexandra Master. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.